Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Hey, John Selig on uh, the sales development, beyond sales development. Geez, I host the show here. I was just given a Wayne's World 543. Tell us about yourself, John. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, you did get the name of your podcast wrong. You also uh, mispronounced my last name, but that's not an egregious sin because that is the second most common pronunciation that I get, or it's the one I accept after the actual pronunciation, which is Selig. So just thought I'd put that out there to whoever's listening to this. Uh, but if you call me Selig, we can still do podcasts together. I'm, I'm totally good with that. Selig, have you ever gotten like Navy SEAL or, you know, Selig Team 6? You, you must, I mean, you're a comedian, so you must have some awesome nicknames. I was, that nick, that, that my last name was mangled when I was in elementary and high school in much worse ways. If someone would have said, hey, you're a Navy SEAL, I'd be like, yeah, that, <laughs> what kind of insult is that? That sounds like something I'm completely incapable of becoming. And I would relish that nickname, but they would mangle my name in all kinds of weird ways. And yours was, like I said, not very egregious. So we can we can still be tough. I'm glad I passed the bar. I'll say your work has come under my microscope because you are teaching humor as a B2B sales process, as a pattern interrupt. Because my work as of late after you know sending a million emails has been emoji-laden gif laden i don't know if prospects like it they certainly haven't seen it you've inspired a lot of the backflips and base jumps and bizarre behavior that i do on social media and i've found a tribe of people that all follow you and love what you're doing so i believe it's futuristic to start learning about comedy and and deploying it but maybe i'm putting you in a box you put me in a box one that now that you've boosted my ego so much my head no longer fits in so i appreciate that that's cool to know I, I think at the end of the day, both stand-up comedy or comedians, comedians are salespeople, especially if you go to a random club or a random show, and there's, let's say, six comics on the show, each doing 10 minutes plus an MC. All of them ultimately have to sell themselves to the audience. They have to be curt and short to the point and have clear ideas about what they're trying to communicate. And of course, every time the audience laughs, it's like they're, they're buying that idea. And they're buying further and further into the comic. So in comedy, a good stand-up comedian should be getting like two laughs a minute, like on average, at least. If you can do three, that's great. And so if you can close a deal every 20 seconds, you're just an all-star, rock star, stand-up comedian. That's amazing. Um, and, and so to, but to get to those laughs, you have to work, you have to create like this funnel of opportunities. And that comes down to, writing a lot and what's funny and how do I find the funny in something, workshopping it, figuring out what has potential, what's, what doesn't, what do we think will close? What do we think won't close? 
and then just keep iterating it. And the problem is stand-up comedians have limited resources at their disposal. I don't mean money because there is none in it. I really mean like stage time is this, this precious resource. So if you're a comedian and you're getting on stage, I don't know, let's say 10 times a week, odds are you're getting as little as three minutes. And depending on your stature, you know, if you're just in the game and you're new, the most you'll get is seven or eight. So when you're starting out in comedy, you're going to have very little time on stage to A, make people laugh and figure out where's my next deal coming from. So you have your, your deals that already kind of like, you know, you have your, you have your gold that already connects and, and gets people on board. But as a comedian, you got to keep writing and keep workshopping those ideas. And so you have to figure out how do I cut all the fluff out of this particular joke? How do I present the logic to them? be relatable really quickly and then kind of make them laugh with a bit of a twist at the end in a very short period of time. I love that, right? Because when I think of cold email, I think about that one time I emailed like the CMO of the telco and, and he immediately just put removed. And I was like, is that an automation? I mean, I only tried one time. I'm thinking, what should, I mean, should I say that I use your cell phone carrier? Should I, what could I and I was like thinking of a test, like if someone else, is, is this just an email address that you email and it just says remove? Is that the, is that the new C-level <laughs> automation? It's just like, let's build a bot that just tells any vendor remove. So how do I- I'm all for through? it. I'd, I'd invest in that. How, how do you bring what, sorry? Well, how do I break through? Because it's like being on stage, you know, like I'm writing a cold email, I'm in a bomb. I've got like mere seconds to get the cut through and stick out from these other 500 sellers. So if we look at the most popular stand comedians in the world and you go to any Netflix special, maybe not Netflix special, but let's say you go back to the day before, days before Netflix. Who were the biggest comedians on earth and what were they talking about? They were talking about very universal, relatable issues, things like dating, marriage, dirty socks, airplane food, right? These are things that we all deal with. And so they were, they were relating. They were being hyper-relatable. And there's no shortage of comedians that I've watched on stage that tell jokes about, I don't know, random scenes from Jurassic Park, which is, it's a movie from 27 years ago that sure it has some cachet, but not everyone in the room is going to know about your Jurassic Park bit. But the biggest comedians on the planet are relatable. And if we look at how do we apply that skills to salespeople, we need to demonstrate to our prospect an audience of one, whether it's an email or a cold call, they're a micro audience. So every time you pick up that phone to call them, you have their ear and you have six seconds to say something that's hyper relatable to them in, in the form of a challenge that you can solve. There's a reason why you're calling because you can help them solve a problem. And if you can lead them down a path to get them to give you another six seconds, you can make them laugh in a variety of ways in those final six seconds. So you can use like this classic set of punchline. You can show, demonstrate an exaggerated impact of not solving the problem, like a what can happen if they don't solve the problem. And there's, there's a variety of ways to do it. But in short, really what I preach is helping to find a way to present the problem you solve for your prospect through a joke and writing those jokes. Because the first step in good joke writing is, who's my audience? Who do I want to appeal to? And, and just finding new ways to say, Things to our prospects, which will get their attention, but ultimately be that pattern interrupt and make them laugh, which is going to be a moment in their day that they'll remember. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I was just uh, 
adjusting the tech here so I could get better audio fidelity. To that point, you know, I've used all sorts of humor. Like I had a rep on a team who sent the full lyrics of Justin Bieber's What Do You Mean? On his last day, he left the company and he was so exasperated. He sent that. Now, what's weird was it hit an auto forward. It closed. It basically set the meeting, closed the opportunity. They like were so, they were so blown away by the relevancy of the Justin Bieber lyric that I actually had to call it the Bieber close. But I feel like reps are scared that they're going to like violate social media policy or some corporate edict if they're funny. How do you find universally funny stuff and put it in B2B? You know, what's the risk reward ratio there? Well, again, I don't teach any of that. I don't teach what's universally funny to everybody. (laughs) I think about what problems do we solve for our prospects and what's funny about those problems to our prospects. In other words, why are they struggling with it? Why is it such a pain for them? Because if I can tell a joke that what I call roasts that prospect's pain, I'm going to trigger an emotional reaction to the prospect for them to go, I can't believe you you told a joke about that. We've been struggling with that for the last like three years. And I've been trying to get initiative off the ground. And can I talk to you more about that problem? I'm so glad you called. Maybe you can help me get a business case done to, to get this problem fixed. I want to learn more about what you have. When you can trigger them through that joke, they're going to open right up to you. You become their therapist. Like you're, you're like a, a wizard of some kind that's called them up out of the blue, made them laugh and demonstrated you really understand a challenge that, that they're probably, that they're struggling with. So I've talked to Stu Heineke and he's just like, just send him a cartoon on a poster board. It's like, he understands that he's Stu Heineke. Like he's an award-winning cartoonist for the Wall Street Journal. And you're like a person that's done stand-up comedy. And I personally, I can't even imagine getting up there and doing that. So if I think about making jest about a pain or a problem and doing it in a tasteful way that's going to be seen as funny and not obnoxious, that's going to convert. Again, I'm sort of like, well, if it's funny to me and not to them. And so I have been playful and sarcastic and I've used emojis as sort of on a plasmometer to say, I'm joking. And that gives the inflection if I do something dry in Monty Python, right? But it sounds like you're teaching people how to identify the pain and then laugh at the pain, right? It's like the story of the Waynes brothers, right? They all came from humble beginnings and just all of them succeeded at once, right? So that was, must've been a funny upbringing, <laughs> but uh, how do we, how do we choose that? Like I'm sure you, you work with a lot of sales teams. Is this a common fear that they have? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's different, different people within different organizations have different fears about humor, but at the end of the day, if you're an SDR, your job is to cut through the noise and to demonstrate that you understand the prospect and that you have something of value to them. And that how can you do that? You need to touch on the problem you solve and hope that they have that problem. If they don't have that problem, okay, like we got to like that. That's that's comedy. That's sales. You're going to strike out a bunch, right? What's but, the funniest thing you've ever done to get a meeting for your own business or coach someone on and they took, took the risk. And I don't think this is risky, by the way, when I train reps or have reps on my teams, I'm just like, it's just a no, just, you know, don't worry about them being offended. I mean, obviously respect manners, integrity. You want to be more, you know, of a, a Will Smith lyric here than an Eminem probably uh, would, unless you know him. Cause I, I'll never forget. I was out in the middle. I was in uh, Las Vegas and one of the top reps ever at Salesforce. I think we were with a, uh, a massive e-commerce retailer and they were talking like, you know, it was pretty, 
pretty funny that the level of comedy and rapport, you know, like a Joe Rogan podcast type thing. And they loved it, but they knew each other so well. So it was just a trusted advisor humor level. It was like they could shoot the breeze that way. It's not a big deal. More trust, more authentic humor, probably because you understand the preference, but on a cold outreach like that. So yeah, to get back to that, you train people to do this. They come back to you and they show you what they did, either stories that you've done or that your clients have done to leverage comedy what they did tactically knock knock jokes i mean cartoons i mean where <laughs> well again it's i've had different people go through my workshop say you know because ultimately my workshops they were kind of done in four hours i'm teaching people who have never written jokes to collaborate about who their prospect is and what problems do we solve for them and what happens if they don't solve the problem who does affect all this great sales training stuff and then I kind of show them how you can take words and phrases and build, build jokes around them. Because at the end of the day, we as salespeople, all we have is our words, whether we articulate them over a cold call or they're in an email. So we have to be careful of, you know, uh, things like sarcasm or snark, right? It depends the medium we're delivering it in. But I've had reps say, you know, I, I use the principles which you taught us. And it's working for me. And are they using any of these particular jokes that come out of the workshop? Probably not because in a four-hour workshop, you know, when I'm brought in for like a, uh, a sales kickoff or something, uh, you don't write the world's greatest jokes. There's always a couple that squeak through actually, like like sort of like in the funnel. If, if there's 40 people in a workshop, I challenge them to roughly write one joke per person. They're working in breakout groups. So 40 jokes get delivered in an open mic at the end of it all. And two or three usually get a bit of an applause, like like a big laugh and some applause. That's awesome. And those are the ones I'm hoping they use. I, I'm not really tracking it, to tell you the truth. But in my new kind of format, uh, God bless global pandemics, in my new virtual class, I don't really mean that. It's just, it's a weird little blessing for me because I found this new way to get people to think about this stuff over time. Now that we don't all have to be in the same spot at the same time, I can offer classes, for example, or workshops that are an hour and a half for five or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever the program is. But there's different steps they have to work on to, to kind of think about the creativity, think about what they're trying to write jokes about and apply creativity in steps over time so that they can have that, what I call shower break to think about how can I make this funnier? How can I make this more creative or how can I make this more impactful? Creativity doesn't happen in small, short, structured bursts. It kind of needs some time to breathe. And that's, like I said, that's literally been the only blessing behind this pandemic is it's allowed me to rethink how uh, people take this in and how they can use it to, to drive better results for themselves. Let me throw a curveball at you. At the time of this podcast, there's a potential here for TikTok to become part of Microsoft. And there's... Oh, God. My attempt at humor is trying to come up with a name. Is that Link Talk? Is that Tick Link? Is it Microbyte, Microsoft, and ByteDance? I'm just trying to come up with a name, but really the use case becomes cool, right? Because Zoom is flat. It's kind of boring. I would love Memoji. Like, wouldn't it be great if I could just deep fake my face, morph into a purple dragon, and have a Chewbacca sound and go and just do something with the tech? Do you think these flat Zooms are going to turn into TikTok? Do you think it's going to get a mullet? Because it's a little dry. I got to be honest. <laughs> you know, I mean, based on what you described, I don't think you need technology. I think you need a mirror and probably the right psychoactive chemicals. But that's 
How, what you do in your spare time, Justin, that's entirely up to you. I mean, look, I don't come on Zoom to be entertained fully. I come on to have a, a business conversation. I mean, could this be part of things? Perhaps, but I'm a firm believer that I don't, as a, as a guy who preaches humor in sales, I don't believe that you should become, a, I don't believe that any salesperson should become a standard comedian constantly dropping jokes because at that point there's some credibility that's lost. And sometimes people, once you have their attention, you get, you get their attention uh, using humor. The only other time I really advocate humor is either to kind of recapture their attention. If it's a longer meeting, it's a little dry. People's attention spans, uh, their, their sustained attention spans are like 18 minutes long. So we need to kind of reel them back in with the joke. Alternatively, if you want to make a killer point, there are jokes that you can write that paint really vivid pictures to, to communicate that point. And that's the only other time I think you should be using humor. So to answer your question, I don't know if like gimmickry and, and you know, making things ridiculous using effects, it, it could end up throwing off some prospects. But maybe as we evolve and everyone's used to the stuff in 30 years, maybe it'll be the norm for everyone to look like a, a wizard and a sea monster on a call. An avatar, right? Like AR, VR, having things flying around. So let me ask you about the future technology. Because you work with a lot of sales development reps, you run into a lot of, of tech. And in a lot of ways, it's like tech for tech's sake. It's like, well, if I just keep buying the better golf club, if I have a $1,000 Big Bertha driver here, then I can be better at golf. But the problem is, you know, Tiger Woods with an old club from the 70s and just smoke me on any court because it's <laughs> so good. He's just yeah. 10,000 hours. So I think to your point, if you're the jokester, the class clown, there's a credibility loss. So it's about tastefully doing it in the right amount. Where do you think this is going? Like, could you have an AI that suggests humor to you? Where does humor and B2B sales go 2035, 2050 towards singularity? Could you have a John Selig Clippy, but way cooler, like Hasselhoff meets Clippy. And then, you know, I was going to try to do a Seinfeld impression, like, why is it called Ovaltine? The box is round. The can is round. Sorry. Okay. That's my best <laughs> comic. That's like a charity laugh. That's like, okay. I kind of was hoping you wouldn't do one of Seinfeld bits. I thought you were going to say, what's the deal with AI and B2B sales? Yeah. Is it going to close the deals for <laughs> us? And or is it going to just build more pipeline? I love it. That works. But yeah, tell tell us about the future of, um, it could be, I mean, the show is called Beyond Sales Development. It's a lot like Bed, bed Bath & Beyond. You go in there and it's kind of just beds and baths. I don't know what the beyond is, but what is your beyond? What's the future? I, I don't claim to know the future. I just think, I'd rather talk, I know it's the future. I know you're asking me a very specific question. I'm not going to answer it. I'm just going to put my foot down on that. <laughs> And just talk about how it doesn't matter what technology you have at your disposal. If you don't understand who your buyer is and you don't understand why your company is in business and why someone decided to give them money, what market opportunity they saw and, and, you know, be able to help your customer understand an economic impact of not solving a problem, then it doesn't matter how much technology you have. You don't, and those fundamentals need to exist and you need to know how to communicate them. So again, I, I mentioned to you earlier, it's like I have this, an old boss and he used to say like, technology changes, but people stay the same. And you can have like all the technology, like the crazy tech stack that has every cool bell and whistle with AI upon a layer of AI. But if people at the switches don't understand the fundamentals, then I don't know why that's a valuable investment. 
So sorry for not answering your question, Justin, but you know, that's just me being real. Hey, I'm a challenger by nature. So I actually appreciate that. I actually want to have guests on in the future sales development or like all the tech is broken. Just, you know, pen and pad. Let's work on that. So, you know, <laughs> is that the most modern thing you can do is the most classic thing ever, which is upskill your business acumen. Learn how your prospect business works. You look at that CEB data, it's like, well, the seller doesn't understand my business. It's the number one shepherd's lament. There'll never be another you. This is a bad, bad jazz standards joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that now that you explain it to me, I am. It's not that I get the joke, but I love the fact that you tried to make a, a hyper specific, very niche jazz standards joke, and that you had the. I appreciate that you thought that I was going to get that, but yeah. I really, I just more appreciate that you made the attempt because if there was a jazz standards fan here, I bet they would have loved that joke. I suspect they would have loved that, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. One listener will get value. <laughs> but you're That's all you need. what I hear you saying though, because it's funny because comics often do have a serious side. You're saying that there has to be steak to the sizzle or, you know, for vegetarians out there, there has to be a there, there. If the issue now is you can have whiz bang XDRs, have all the tech stacks going, have, and have all this stuff deployed and there's no meat on the bones because they really don't understand business in general, the business of that prospect. They haven't taken the time to do research. They haven't really mapped out their ICP. How are you coaching reps not to get too caught up with the humor and to get really into the psychology of the prospect? I mean, yeah, I'm curious more about your workshop and how you're helping create behavioral change. I think, I think that's a good question. Yeah, I don't, while our goal is to write jokes, the real value is in the process of writing the jokes. So if we kind of look at, let's say, for example, you, you can, you can create a comedy show for any demographic in the world today. So we made that uh, Jurassic Park reference. Maybe you just do a, I'm not going to pick on Jurassic Park because I know nothing about no, it. No, there's a good scene where it, it, the camera pans in and the girl goes, it's a Unix system. And this is one of the funniest bits in Jurassic Park for engineers for the last yes. 20 years. It's Unix. Yes. Like, she knows Unix. So she can just suddenly code an open source on the paddock for the Velociraptor. That's quite yeah. convenient. She knew Unix. Yeah. <laughs> but today, today, in today's world, because of things like Facebook and social media and just being able to hone in on people's interests, there's, there's comedy shows for very niche fan bases. So there's Star Wars comedy shows, there's pro wrestling comedy shows, there's comic book movie comedy shows. So think about it. If you came to see, I'm, a, I'm an admitted, not fan of pro wrestling, like, like them getting in the ring and having a match, but I love what pro wrestling is. It's storytelling, it's characters, it's bravado, uh, there's a business behind it. I find that all fascinating. So if I tell a joke to a mainstream stand-up comedy audience, about WrestleMania five, let's say, uh, they won't get it. No one, what's this guy talking about? But if I'm writing jokes for an audience of pro wrestling fans, I'm referencing WrestleMania five, I'm, re I'm referencing Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, and maybe like little niche details about them. That's going to really capture my audience's attention. And so. I have to know my audience. You forgot the macho man, Randy Savage, and his heavy promotion of Slim Jim products. I would never forget that. Trust me. That's, 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 I'm a big fan of the macho man himself. There's no doubt about it. The late, great macho man. But at the end of the day, if some comedian's invited onto the show and doesn't know anything about pro wrestling, 
shame on shame on the booker, but shame on the comedian for saying I want to be on the show. So let's say, for example, you want to get on that show. Uh, you need to learn everything about who that audience is. What kind? Of, who's going to be in the crowd? Okay, it's dudes between eighteen and forty-five. Let's just say, right? Like, let's face it, predominantly male demographic. What are their habits? What do they like? What makes them tick? We need to understand everything about that particular audience. And then we start to want to start to talk about some things that that audience doesn't like that pains them. So maybe the current wrestling product and how it's overproduced is a problem for that audience. And you can make a joke about that. So in short, writing jokes for your prospects is about understanding that whole ICP. What, what are they striving to achieve? What are their objectives? Uh, what do the demographics look like? What is their mandate within the company? What's the company's objectives? What industry are they in? Let's understand all of that stuff. And once we have all of that, then we need to answer why, like, why should they take our call? Well, because we solve a certain problem that affects them in these, these few ways. And at that point, we're going to write a joke that harnesses all of that and, and help, that helps the prospect understand that we understand them. So it's that classic show me, you know me thing. And if you could articulate that really early in the setup of a joke, you're going to have their ear. And if you can make them laugh, even better. But it helps us, the comedy writing process not only helps us understand our audience and the problems we solve, but it helps us break away from things like buzzwords, phraseology. It helps us master our subject matter expertise and become more conversant and fluent in it and find new and relatable ways to say all of the above. So if I were to call you up, Justin, and say, Hey, I'm with Ziffy. We have a AI driven enhanced AI engagement platform. Like people don't know what that is. Sorry, marketers speaking to you out there. But if we could find a simple way to say it, that could lead to not only them understanding who we are and what we do and why we matter, but can lead to a great way, an easier way for us to, to ultimately uh, make them laugh. I love that. So now I'll ask you $64 million question. So I believe that outbound is a combination of like the Bermuda Triangle of personalization, relevance, and timing. And I think personalization alone doesn't get you there because just because we're both fly fishing fans, maybe we'll be friends and go onto Facebook and do a fly fishing group, the interest graph. But there's an economic graph on LinkedIn and B2B. So it's almost like tying pain points that are necessary. Like I believe, well, I want to see what you believe. Of the three, how would you stack rank them and how do you use them together? How does this pertain to comedy writing for B2B? So personalization, relevance, and what's the third one? Timing. I think relevance is the most important. I right. mean, t- look, okay, timing, let's face it. Timing is important in sales and comedy. You need to have it. But at the same time, the timing might suck, but if you're relevant, I'm going to at least keep you in the back of my mind right. or put you in a special folder of like, follow up with these guys in six months or be receptive to this person's emails. So I, I kind of, so I actually like got a, a cold email recently and it was from someone who gushed over an appearance I had in the podcast uh, other than this one. I don't know if you know this, but you have competitors, Justin. I just thought I'd break that to you. I was on some podcasts and this, I got a cold email. Don, I heard you on this podcast. I, I really like this. Place. So he flattered me and that was great. But then he went on to talk about his company and why, like how great they were. And, you know, do I want to have a meeting? And like, just like you flattered me. You told me roughly what you do. But I don't know why I should care. You haven't explained that to me. 
So I don't feel personalization. I kind of think personalization is like this way of tricking prospects into to getting them to talk to us, like feeling guilty that we don't respond because, oh, look how nice they are. They, we both like, you know, trampoline basketball. We think that's awesome. We're big fans of that. But like, so what? Who cares? Like, what, how is that going to, how is that going to help me as a prospect? Because this person has a common interest to me. But if they can articulate, they really understand my business. They really understand my goals as a CXO or a vice president. They can understand, they can, they can show that they understand how that problem is going to prevent me from hitting my goals. Then I want to at least consider talking to them. Yeah. So I get these really, it's like uh, when I was a kid, I'd go to Universal Studios and I was so afraid of Jaws. I always thought there was going to be sharks and like the pool and right. So, and when I, people are start to be really nice to me and I don't know why on social media, it's like, dun-na, dun-na, you know, and then they're like, Oh, you're in SoCal. Oh, you like hiking. I like hiking. I'm like, where are we going with this? There's no real way to help me and my business goals. Uh oh, boom. Why don't you get a trial? Let me send you some socks and you can try my, you know, system for coaching. And I'm just like, yeah. or I don't know what it is. I, it's actually sometimes really random stuff that I can't use. And I'm like, that's cool. Or, you know, I get them the email from, you know, it's like 72 bullet points. It's like web design landing pages, you know, this is the thing. So how do sellers start with the ICP of like, I can actually help John Selig, you know, now I'll build the rapport tied to something that relevant, like actually helps him. It's in his interest as my prospect. Now we've got the flywheel because I'm, I'm not pushing on a rope because it's actually relevant. That kind of pattern recognition is hard to teach, helping people find the relevant stuff. Cause they're always sort of like, you want to grow revenue. You're an RVP of sales. You want more leads. I'm like, okay, that's too obvious. It's generic. Like, how do you customize a relevant pitch that's succinct and specific enough and then funny? I mean, to me, that's the holy grail. If you can well, teach people that, they're going to hire you for this workshop all day. I don't necessarily claim that I teach everyone how to write brilliant jokes or how to think funny. That's actually not the promise of what I do. It's giving okay. them a framework to sort of map out. Again, it's, it's sort of like, look, it's a very sneaky kind of sales training. Like I'm tricking people into learning about their audience. <laughs> just by saying, hey, we're going to write a joke specifically to make that type of persona laugh, Yeah. right? So at the end of the day, if I'm working with a whole sales team and we write three good jokes out of 100, everybody can use those three jokes. Everyone could say, you know what? That's the one that I'm going to leave my cold calls with or that's the one I'm going to kick off every email sequence off with, uh, excuse me, every email cop, you know, every email with. Because you can you can take part of the setup and put it in the subject line and be hyper relevant. So for example, I wrote, I helped a sales trainer write some jokes. And like I said, what are some of the problems you have? Uh, sorry, what are some of the problems you help CROs with? He goes, well, they're dealing with things like uh, discounting is a challenge and long sales cycles are a challenge and uh, there's slippage, that's a challenge. And so I listened to a bunch of the challenges. And I looked at it all on paper and we wrote the following joke. I said, you know, I speak with a lot of CROs just like you. And they struggle with discounting, long cycles, and slippage. And this saddens me because a sales executive's problems shouldn't sound like a midnight trip to Walmart. <laughs> That's good. And I so like if, you put, if you put discounting, long cycles, and slippage in the subject line, and you're a CRO, you're going to see those three things. You're going to be like, I'm struggling with like two of those or three of those. Like, what is this? You're going to open it up. And if you can make them laugh, great. You have their attention for another 10, 12 seconds. Then it's like, how can we help? What yeah. 
I feel like Sandler had a flavor of this because he that that method says you call someone cold and you say, you know, prospect, I hate making cold calls as much as you hate getting them. And it's a funny statement because it's like the Shakespearean concept I always talk about is breaking the fourth wall, right? We're like acknowledging yeah. the monkey in the room. Like I'm a solicitor and I'm trying to compliantly call you, but I'm interrupting you. And I am kind of like cold pitching you and like, yeah, it's warm because I researched you, but like, I'm kind of knocking on your virtual door, selling you a vacuum, a Kirby vacuum. Like this vacuum's a thousand bucks You pick up a bowling ball. It came to the door in the eighties, right? It was great. <laughs> I think, I think that approach humanizes the rep to the prospect right away, but it doesn't advance their own credibility. So if I, if I pull that on you and Hey, this is a cold call. You have a right to hang up now if you want, whatever that flavor of that, that opener is great. Let's say the person's, I'm going to stay. You're still the ground zero with them. Same as if you caught their attention with a funny emoji or talked to them about how, again, we both love pro wrestling or trampoline basketball. Like <laughs> you, you get the wrestling while playing basketball on a trampoline, right? Like, what was that? Golf cart polo? You, you go break into the, you know, the country club, you get all the golf carts and you play polo at high speed. It's been in Let's several movies. Let's do it. We uh, could quit our day jobs and just launch a, a elite. professional golf cart polo ring syndicate. I'm in. I'm in. I get. I get to. I, I'm going to use the diesel only carts. I don't know why. I know nothing about environmental green. Fuels. Let you make yeah. a Tesla golf cart. For sure, we should do it. We should, we should get Elon Musk to fund this. Better yet, he likes putting his money into crazy outlandish things. And who knows? He's in the hyperloop. <laughs> but in short, again, coming back to that, I help sales pros write the kind of jokes then not just start the conversation, but also advance it a little bit. So, I think it's great. You know, I, I feel like this is important, right? Because a lot of people come on the show and they want to talk about a certain tech, but you're talking about an enablement around how to learn a structured process for humor, almost a Bob Ross, so that there is a framework that makes it, you know, if I could be 5% funnier as of like flat and droll and not stand out, I believe in pe- like Seth Godin and the Purple Cow. If you even try to be humorous, you're so different than those Someone just figured out LinkedIn automation. Have you seen this, John? It's like, I'm getting five of these a day. Hi, Justin, comma. And then I answer and it's like, boom, bullets. Are you seeing that? I've been getting those, but in Polish. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're I taking would... off in Poland right now, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I ended up on someone's uh, LinkedIn automation list. And one day I got like five or six uh, connection requests from people in Poland and written in the Polish language. Amazing. Which, sorry, Polish people, I neglected to take it in elementary school. You, I mean, you might need to do a, a webinar over there and have some translation tech. Um, I'm running out of time with you, but I love these conversations, and I think you have a great approach. I think everyone should become funnier. It's a pattern interrupt. Where can people find you, your course, your website, your LinkedIn? You know, someone's interested in this site and learning to be more humorous for B2B reasons. Yeah, go. Absolutely. My website is John, J-O-N, there is no H. It is silent and invisible. So dot com. And if you go to johnseelig.com slash registration, uh, I have courses both for sales reps who want to go through it with some reps from other companies. These are all live classes. And I also can offer a private class for reps from one company, which to be, to be honest, that, that will have a greater impact because everyone's on the same page collaborating, sharing insight, sharing knowledge and creativity, all with the goal of helping write jokes that all those people can use. So it can be done in, in, in classes open to whoever, 
could be open to small groups with you and your colleagues or for a larger sales team in a workshop format. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I truly believe humor is a back to the future scenario. And I want to know if the machines can be funny. Uh, We're all certainly operating like machines with all this spam automation. So we got to be human and funny. Thank you so much, John, for coming on Beyond Sales Development. This was a blast. And uh, one last thing to add, who would have thought that even five years ago, the idea of being funny in sales was this novel idea that people hadn't considered? Because if we look back to uh, the days of door-to-door salespeople or field salespeople, the reps with the best senses of humor always did the best because it was a more of a relationships game. But, you know, coming back to technology, everyone wants to scale everything. And I guess that's where technology comes in. And that's where you come in, Justin. I want to automate the John Seelig approach, but that's Seelig approach, but that's uh, for a different day. If I can pronounce your name, there is hope. Uh- <laughs> yeah, technology is doing a number on you. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, John. We'll talk soon. Thank you for having me.